Chasers are Pacific Coast League champions. You're listening to the Stormcast, a podcast from the Omaha Storm Chasers. Here are your hosts, Jake Eisenberg and Tony Boone. Hello, and welcome to the Stormcast. I'm Jake Eisenberg, he's Tony Boone, and well, we did it. We made it to 2021. So much promise, so much excitement for what this year can bring. I think I speak for pretty much everyone when I say that I'm glad that 2020 is behind us. I hope all of you listening had a wonderful and healthy holiday season. Thank you so much for joining us in the new year. We've got a great conversation with Jake Kalish coming up, but I I think, Tony, this wouldn't be a true first episode of the new year if we didn't share a New Year's resolution or two first. Okay, um, I'm not really a resolution guy with regards to the New Year, Jake. I'm more of a, hey, if it needs to be changed, we're going to change it now. So I'm not against the resolution itself, um, but I don't necessarily need New Year's Eve or New Year's Day to be the, the start date of that. Um, although I understand that's the thing, I'm interested to, to see what yours is going to be. What I will say is I'm happy 2020 is over. I really hope that 2021 does bring us a baseball season. And uh, it's been really strange living through the pandemic in 2020. And in the case of our household, avoiding COVID-19 for the entire year, only to have it happen through the holiday season. And the holiday season at the Boone household actually begins this evening uh, because we've been quarantined for the last three weeks. Yeah, yeah well, a belated happy holidays to you and your family. I... I think I speak for everyone when I say that I'm glad that you are all healthy and well and can now experience the joy of a belated holiday season together. Our uh, our experience with COVID was a light one compared to what some have dealt with and those that have dealt with the extreme ends of it. Um, I feel for everyone that, that's had to deal with anything like that because uh, it's been a really tragic year for this country and you know for the world for that matter. And I uh, just can't wait till these days are past us, and hopefully we're getting there soon. Right, and there's no there's no light switch between December 31st, 2020, or January 1st, 2021. But there is hope on the horizon. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and one foot in front of the other, we're going to get there. And I think everyone's goal for 2021 is to put this pandemic behind us and and solve that problem and and start to move forward and get back to whatever normalcy uh, exists now in our in our post pandemic world. Absolutely. That being said, what is your resolution? Okay, so I, one of the things that I was excited about doing in 2020 was obviously moving to Omaha and experiencing an Omaha Storm Chasers baseball season. That has been delayed for almost 11 months now. So my, my main resolution is to actually move to Omaha, which I, I think, hopefully, fingers crossed, is going to happen somewhat soon. So that's, that's my main resolution, my main goal. Uh, also, of course, you know, play baseball like let's let's play some baseball games let's see everyone out at warner park in in the safest way possible as best we can um those are the two things that i really want in 2021 in addition to just everyone's health and well-being so those those would be my main resolutions or or goals if you will i think this is the point where the narrator would interject that that was also jake's resolution for 2020 (laughs) yeah let's just let's just hit the reset button okay Right. That, that all being said, 2020 threw us all a big curveball and every single one of us whiffed. Um, and that uh, didn't uh, exclude anyone. Um, but um, one of the bright things that did come out of 2020, as we talked about in our last episode, was doing this podcast. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I think we're getting it off to a great start here in, in 2021 as well. And, uh, you know, Jake Kalish was a perfect guest uh, for us to have out of the gate here. Yeah. And his one of his resolutions is to play baseball in, in 2021, too. He got to play at the Royals alternate site in 2020, and he's been working out in the offseason since then, preparing for the 2021 season. But, I mean, we touched on a ton of stuff with Jake. We talked about when he out-dueled Clayton 
Kershaw in 2017. We talked about the fact that he's a pitcher that can swing the bat. He's a switch-hitting pitcher, and even though he hasn't gotten a chance to really hit much at the professional level, he can still do it, and we talk about that. We talked about his time in the World Baseball Classic, developing pitches and, and trying to increase below in the offseason, uh, even some food recommendations in Omaha, which I'm going to put this out there now. If you've got any, of course, I am hopeful to move to Omaha soon. I'm going to need more food recommendations. So so send them my way at Jake Eisenberg underscore on Twitter. Send them Tony's way at Tony G. Boone on Twitter. And he can pass them along to me. Whatever you like. I'm, I'm all ears. If this podcast did nothing else, it has given Jake a massive list of places <laughs> to visit when he comes to Omaha, especially places to eat. Right, I'm, this is this is my platform to crowdsource recommendations, and I will do that without any shame at all. Uh, so we'll let Jake do that in a little bit. We we talked to him about the food in Omaha, and, and I guess you and I, Tony, have rambled on long enough here. So so without any further ado, let's get to our conversation with Jake Kalish. He's pitched for the Storm Chasers each of the last three seasons after making his AAA debut in 2017. Jake was drafted in the 32nd round of the 2015 draft out of George Mason. And just a year later, in 2016, he was named the Royals Organization's Minor League Reliever of the Year. Uh, we had so much fun talking to him, and so now, here's our conversation with Jake Kalish on the Stormcast. First, Jake, we'll talk about kind of what's going on right now. Since you got back from the alternate site in a weird 2020 season, what have you been up to? What's new? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this. I mean, kind of fast forward right now. It's definitely been a, a weird year, more ways than just one. Uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough to get to the alternate site and have some sort of baseball. I was pretty lucky in that aspect. And uh, right now, I'm just getting ready for, for 2021. It's here and uh, looking forward to an opportunity to play baseball. It sure sounds like that we're going to have baseball for everybody. So uh, what's more to ask for? Well, Jake, one of the things that uh, Jake and I have been talking about on the podcast here over the last few months is just how this last year is going to impact everyone that was involved. Uh, do you feel like that 2020 in the long run is going to help or hurt in your case? And what kind of lingering effects on players that, that weren't able to be a part of the major league season? How How is that year going to affect everybody going forward and, and in you in particular? Yeah, I think everybody is going to, unfortunately, a little bit negatively uh, impact a little negatively just because I'm just in pure reps. There wasn't as many reps as, as normal. You know, the big league level, only 60 games played. And then for us, our guys in the minor leagues, uh, we didn't have any games. You know, we, we did our best at the alternate site because you know, some days you didn't have enough guys there uh, because of the strict rule on, on terms of actual numbers and players that could be there. But, you know, I know the Royals did a really good job of getting us work in at the alternate site. And then there was a, a fall camp where guys were able to get reps in. But, you know, I think the positive thing you take out of it is is, is really just trying not to take it for granted. You know, especially me personally, getting to AAA as quickly as I did and kind of being there for the last few years, it can get a little monotonous. And what happened this past year just kind of taught me, you know, not to take anything for granted. And, you know, whatever happens in my career personally is what's going to happen. And I just want to make sure I try and enjoy each opportunity that I get to play. And uh, I'm really, really looking forward to, to the season. Yeah, I think we're all really looking forward to 2021. And you're right. It, it's been a very quick ascent for you. Drafted in 2015, making a AAA debut just a couple of years later. And, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. When it comes to the alternate side, we had... Uh, Polion, we had Nick Heath on the podcast uh, this past fall, and they told us kind of about what the day to day was like. And you mentioned that sometimes you don't have enough guys to, you know, play a full game or even simulate a full game. And I mean, you're a guy who in college you're a two way player. You you hit and you pitched. 
did you ever at the alternate site step in the batter's box and take some swings against other pitchers just to give them someone to throw to? No, no, I, 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 that, that would be really fun. But, <laughs> so you wanted to? Well, I, I don't think there's ever a day that I don't want to. There's actually a couple times in Omaha over the last, maybe it was last year in 2019, that there was a chance that, you know, a couple guys had gotten called up and we hadn't gotten enough guys back. And, uh, you know, Polly before the game is like, hey, look, you're our guy. We have a little experience. You know, obviously you're not going to be out there starting, but in a, you know, one in 10,000 chance scenario, you're going to have to go out and play. And uh, so, you know, a couple of the guys had me tape my wrists and put the eye black on and go out for pregame sprints and all that stuff, which is pretty funny. And I actually had to do that in, in double A where I was kind of the last man. Hey, you know, if we need a guy, you're the guy. But, um, you know, it's something you joke about. And, but no, never, not anything serious where, you know, we're really getting it up there and see what it's like. That that hasn't, that happen, hasn't happened and won't happen. Okay, so here's what I got to know, because, I mean, this is a unique thing for a pitcher. There's an S next to your name. You're a switch hitter. If you get the chance to hit in the professional level at any point, are you going to be switch hitting or are you going up there right-handed or left-handed no matter what? Um, I, I want to go up based on the matchup. I mean, really, I, I did it in college and that was, you know, that's how I played every day. Righty, righty on the mound, I'm hitting lefty, you know, lefty on the mound, I'm hitting righty. So I would like to do that way. Now, sometimes there's decisions that, that are above me and I would listen to my coaches on based on what they would want me to do. But yeah, if they were like, hey, go up there and, and, and have at it and, and, try and try and help the team, I'm definitely going based on matchup 100%. Let's be clear. Like Jake is not the kind of pitcher who like took a couple at bats in college and had some success or just got thrown in the fire. Like his final year at George Mason, Jake hit over 300. Like legit hitter in college. And well, first off, which one is which one is natural, lefty or righty? Uh actually, I grew up hitting right-handed. Um You grew up hitting right-handed but throwing left-handed. Yeah, it was kind of an odd deal there and you know, one day in my backyard, actually, I was playing like a wiffle ball game, and the rules were because we played like my backyard was small dimensions for home runs. So we all had to hit opposite handed. And, you know, I'm just out there raking. And it's, you know, it's funny. It's a wiffle ball game. And one of my buddies come up to me and say, hey, you know, you swing it pretty good lefty. Why don't you try it with a real bat? And, you know, sure enough, I tried it. Went out and took BP with my dad and was lacing the ball. And he's like, all right, look, I guess we got to try and, uh, and switch it. And, you know, it kind of stuck. When you were drafted as a pitcher, was that a surprise to you? Did you think you might get drafted as a hitter or or as both? Because that's something we see now, too. Yeah, no, I wasn't surprised by it. I didn't hit with enough thumb, you know, especially in today's game. You got to hit home runs. But I, I don't think that even ever really crossed my mind. It was more just, uh, you know, we're trying to win ball games at Mason. And uh, I was had a really good fall, and it just kind of worked out to where, you know, I'd, I'd pitch uh, and DH for myself and DH the rest of the weekend. So it was a, kind of a quirky rule where I'd come out of the game after pitching, but I'd still stay in and I'd hit sort of the pitcher that replaced me. It wasn't anything more than, you know, we're, we're just trying to win ball games. Well, I think the interesting thing about that, though, is what you talked about is you're the guy on the bench that, you know, the manager will come up to and at least present that option to you that, hey, you may be the guy. And I know that there are guys on the other side who are the positions players who love the fact that they're the guy that the minor league manager is going to come up to and say, hey, if we need a cleanup inning here at the end of the game to save the bullpen, you're going to be that guy. And in Omaha, and you may have been there or not when these things happen, but both Dean Anna and, and Brian Tanya did that at, at some point. 
Um, is it kind of cool to be the guy that the manager comes and talks to and said, you know, hey, if we need an inning in the field or if we need somebody to, to take a swing in the next inning um, to be that guy. Sure. I, I definitely take pride in that, but it's more like a ribbing that I get from the from the guys. <laughs> <'Cause> it's <laughs> it's got to be like the stars perfectly aligned and, and for, for me to actually get in that bat. You know, it's more like, hey, you're the last guy on the bench today just in case. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely excited in there, but then. I get brought down to earth real quick when my when the guys come up to be like, hey, you know you're not actually going to get in today, right? That all being said, that you, you do realize if it does happen and like you rope the ball, then that's a viral moment. Oh, yeah, well, definitely. I, I, if the opportunity presents itself, I'll be more than, than ready. I, I, I'd like to go up there swinging. I know I've heard of scenarios where, you know, you're not allowed to swing, you know, because they don't want to get anybody hurt. But if I'm clear to swing, I, I'm going up to back it. Why not? <laughs> and you know what? Like, I know that, you know, there's like some good natured ribbing between pitchers and hitters where the guys that are hitters will be like, yeah, pitchers, pitchers aren't athletes. Like, they don't feel their position position things like that but like pitchers are athletes for, for starters but like you can push back on that pretty pretty well yeah oh yeah i definitely try and push back as much as i can because they're always coming after us pitchers out there you know we only have to do one job and uh, you know the other guys gotta play the field and hit but um yeah when when, when the position players start coming out and pitchers i definitely stand up for us you know someone's got to do it and uh, a lot of the guys were you know the best players on their team growing up before they got to professional baseball. And obviously in, in, in professional baseball, it's a lot different, you know, the business side of it where, you know, you're not, you're not just going to go out there and, and put and throw guys out there. You're going to do what you need is done for your organization. But uh, I definitely stand up for, for the guys when they come at us for not being athletes. <laughs> well, Jake, so far you kind of found your spot here in the Royals organization. You've been a great swing guy at every level that you've been at. Um, you've been able to go, come out of the pen. You've started for quite uh, quite a bit, and uh, especially so in your, your last couple of years here in Omaha. Kind of looking forward to 2021. What are you kind of expecting things to be like for you going forward now that you've kind of found your niche as a guy that's going to throw strikes and can give you innings from either out of the bullpen or as a starter? Yeah, I would, I would probably think that it's going to continue in a role similar to that. And whatever role that is, I'll take it on and, and, and go for it. I've been working hard in the offseason trying to add a little bit of velocity. Uh, you know, that's kind of been something that's eluded me in my career. And um, I think I'm on to something that's going to help with that. But, you know, just kind of take the role as it comes and, and hopefully pitch well enough to get an opportunity to uh, help the big league club. I know you've been down in Arizona working out and you mentioned that you're you're looking for more velocity and, and a lot of guys will talk about trying to build up their velocity or working on a pitch. What exactly does that entail? How do you find that velocity or, or add those miles an hour to your fastball or other pitches? Sure. Well, for me personally, I think it comes down to my mechanics. You know, I've had a biomechanical assessment where they put the 3D markers on, to, on you and kind of go through how your body's actually moving through space. And it's really interesting to actually see like how your skele- your skeleton itself is moving. The one thing that they found for me is that my lower half and my upper half work too closely together. Um, so it's been a real um, focus for me this offseason to work on rotating my hips rather than pushing uh, down the mound. It's kind of, you know, thinking at it at face value. It doesn't really make sense, but it goal is to create force into the ground but then when it's time to throw think about you know rotating my lower half hard rather than trying to push out further to home plate and i guess the idea behind that is uh to create more force into my front leg so i can 
drive over my front leg faster. That's that's kind of where we're what we're working on right now. And then you know, obviously the the weighted balls have have gotten a lot of, of spotlight lately. And I'm doing some work with that. Um, and I and I enjoy it just because you know it gives you something to kind of work towards when you're throwing against the, the radar gun with different weights and you know trying to find what works best for me. And I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm not expecting anything crazy uh, although i am i would definitely call myself an optimist but um yeah it, it, it's something that you got to be really focused on in, in your mechanics and, and kind of building up as you get closer to the season rather than peaking too soon you touched on something interesting there you said that your upper half and your lower half were working too closely together and i think to some people they may think well don't you kind of want your body to work together for a result but you want those two halves not necessarily to work super closely together, but to complement one another as best they can, right? Right, exactly. So the idea is you want your, your your pelvis velocity in terms of rotating. If you're thinking about your hips, you want your pelvis velocity to rotate at its peak before your shoulder rotate at their peak velocity, if, if that makes sense at all. So you want your hips to get through and, and rotate before you go to actually rotate your, your shoulders and your arm to throw the ball. So if you can get that to happen further apart, the idea is you'll be able to throw harder. So I guess we'll 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 find out. You know, if you told me back in, you know, May of twenty twenty when we started this podcast that at some point someone was gonna say the phrase pelvic velocity, uh, I, I would have been pretty shocked and, and laughed out loud at that. So I'm glad we got that, you know, on tape now. Pelvic velocity. Yeah, we got that the first the first pod of the year. <laughs> yeah, first first pod of the year. We're setting we're setting new new horizons in twenty twenty one with with terms like that. No, that's that's awesome. Aside from the velocity stuff, are there any grips that you're tinkering with or different pitches you're trying to uh, work on? Oh uh, sure. You know back in twenty eighteen I, I had a really good slider and um, and I actually kind of lost that pitch in 2019. So actually going back with the Royals uh, with the analytics department and, and kind of looking at some some pitch movement profiles, which is, you know, basically just in terms of actual movement and in inches on my pitches. We noticed that my slider in 2019 lost a lot of horizontal movement and a little bit of vertical movement compared to 2018. And that was something that I had really focused on going into 2020. And I felt really good about it. I made some adjustments and I, I felt like I had a, a good spring training. And then obviously everything got shut down. So I wasn't able to see that in a full season. Uh, but I was able to bring it to the alternate site that 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 stuff I worked on, especially my slider. And uh, I, I thought I threw the ball well there. So that was encouraging to see that. And uh, I'm going to, you know, kind of try and replicate that going into uh, my the pitch design process as I get off the mound and start working on, you know, slider, my two seam and making sure that the separation in movement between those two pitches are as big as I can get them to be. And and then kind of work off of that. Okay, going what you uh, back to what you said a little bit ago about uh, you know kind of a little bit of the mental part of it having gotten to Omaha so quickly. I, I'm kind of wondering what 21 becomes like for you um, after kind of having this reset, not necessarily by anything that you did, but because of the pandemic. Do you get to enter with a different spot? I, I guess what I'm getting at is you know a lot of guys get to AAA, and once you're there for a couple of years you know, you really get kind of anxious. The, the next step isn't coming as fast as what the other ones have before. We saw it with position player guys in Omaha, like Whit Merrifield or, or even Bubba Starling, you know, more recently and things like that. I just wonder for you, um, how do you kind of approach the start of 2021 going through all these things that you have during this 2020 um, kind of off year, maybe looking back on where you finished and, and thought you were at the end of 2019? Yeah, absolutely. Um, to be totally honest, it's been, it's been difficult for sure. You know, I'm lucky to have my wife, 
here with me. She's been uh, awesome through the whole time. But, you know, we're not, I'm not the only one going through stuff like this. You know, everybody's dealing with the pandemic, whether it's in baseball or not. Um, but, you know, personally, uh, it's been a kind of a, a breath of fresh air, you know, uh, after the alternate site and, and, and not getting there, not getting in the big leagues this year was definitely disappointing. Uh, but I was able to kind of get home and and clear everything and get in the weight room and just kind of take out some some uh, frustration there and 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 kind of get refocused because it's very it's cliche to say but you know you play until they take the jersey away from you you know and I've been lucky enough uh, as a late round pick to be able to play you know in the in the minor leagues uh, for for a decent amount of time and to be able to look into this 2021 season and say hey you know what I got another shot to uh, to get there. It's uh, I'm very excited, especially once that struck that clock struck 12. You know what I mean? All eyes are on 21 for sure. Oh yeah, no, I think I think that feeling was felt by like the entire world uh, on New Year's Eve when, yeah. when it finally yeah, hit midnight. People, just a few people. Yeah, exactly. Just just knowing that there was not that not that anything is you know completely or totally different about January 1st, 2021 versus December 31st, 2020, but there is a total mindset shift between the two things, just knowing that there is so much potential for this year, you know, even though there's still a lot of work to be done and a lot of things that have to get figured out, the potential for this year and this summer, it, it it's hopeful, it's there, whereas in 2020, that wasn't always the case. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely a lot of things that still need to get cleaned up and not just in sports, you know, just in life in general. Uh, but yeah, what, what everybody is very excited for this year and I, I'm looking forward to it. Well, Jake, you mentioned playing uh, until they ripped the jersey off of you, but I wouldn't it wouldn't be fair in this podcast to not have you on without talking about some of the things that you've already, already accomplished once you uh, got into pro ball. When you look at some of the things you've been able to be a part of here over the last few years, what jumps out to you as being some of the best memories? Man. Obviously, the, the, the 2017 World Baseball Classic was, was awesome. That experience itself was, was unlike anything else that I've experienced in the game of baseball. You know, to be able to play for something bigger than, than yourself was really special. And, uh, you know, just the group of guys. The group of guys we had on the team were some, were some better and big league guys. And, you know, not having that much experience in terms of playing with, you know, some big league players, they were all really, really um, – you know, supportive and easy to talk to. And I think that was a big reason why we had success on that, on that team. You know, a lot of those guys that have been around, they kind of took the reins and said, you know, we're going to, we're going to put this team on our back and, and you guys help out when you can. And, and it didn't show, you know, we all kind of rallied around them. So that was really, really fun. And then obviously um, that same year, I got to pitch against Kershaw, obviously not in the big leagues, but, at Chickasaw Ballpark, which was was pretty electric atmosphere. I think that was probably, in terms of a, a game that I got to start, that I got to own, it's probably the, the, the best atmosphere I've gotten to pitch in. And, and that was just really, really fun. So we're going to talk about that game in Oklahoma City in a second. This is called a tease for anyone listening. But first, Team Team Israel in, in 2017, you're playing in the World Baseball Classic, an event that really, sadly, is not happening this year when it was scheduled to happen this year. That's one of the things that baseball has lost as a result of this pandemic. But you got a chance to play for Team Israel that featured some other big leaguers like Jason Marquis and Ike Davis and some names that are more familiar to people in Omaha, like like Cody Decker was on that team with you, and he was in Omaha just a season before you arrived in 2017. What are some of your most fond memories about that experience, being with those guys, traveling around, facing different competition, what have you? Yeah, well, first off, you mentioned Jason Marquis. 
I don't know if I've met a more confident baseball player in my life. You know, that guy, he believes in himself more than anybody else. And, and you know, he really fed off of it. And he was a guy towards the you know end of his career, and he just took the ball and was like, this is – we're going to do this and get it done. And he did. I mean, every time he went out, came out, he, he got it done for us, competed. And, you know, to, to be around a guy like that who had such a long and, and successful career in the big leagues – you try and take a little bit of a little bit from him, and I think the biggest thing I took away from him was just his his confidence and his mentality that you know he was going to go out and just compete, out compete anybody out there. And you know what? If it wasn't there that day, he was going to give what he had, and and he did that. And I thought that was the most impressive thing. What's your relationship like with the mensch on the bench? The bench on the bench. Yeah, he's he was a good. Hey, he was a good bench. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he was a good bench. You know, uh, Cody was. He's fun. We actually, he actually had me up on the bus. I think to recite uh, the speech from Braveheart one day. That was that was kind of my initiation of the team. I wasn't able to play in the qualifier, but I was added to the roster for the for the tournament. And you know, one of the one of the things he had a couple of the, the new guys do is get up and do something funny on the bus and. And I enjoyed that, you know. I mean, there's not much better than than the team atmosphere. I think that's you know the the best part of the, of the game is is the guys. Uh, you know, you know, it's not like you have to love every single guy that you're on the team with, but they're your teammates no matter what. And uh, just kind of being around, that's I think that's one of the things I missed the most in 2020. You know, there was a little bit of that at the alternate site, but obviously different. And having to wear masks in there and and really being encouraged not to be in the facility it was more like come in get your work done where in a normal season you know that's that's what you go through each and every day and i truly enjoy that and that team especially really i really enjoyed that part of it yeah that's something that tony and i have talked about too how we miss the camaraderie of that ballpark experience i mean for us you know we're up in the press box but you know sometimes we're also you know meandering around the clubhouse and, and talking to you guys and finding things out and hanging out at the cage during batting practice and you miss those sounds and those conversations and, and all those moments and that's something we're we're looking forward to getting back to in 2021 uh, you mentioned jason marquis as a guy that you looked up to during that that 2017 world baseball classic experience was he a pitcher that you looked up to when you were growing up in, in New Jersey? Like, who were, who were some of your idols, so to speak, in, in the baseball world? Well, it was really funny you said that because, um, so Jason Marquis, he had a, a little league coach. His name was, was Larry Ambrosino, he was, and he was my super superintendent at the, at the school I went to in Shrewsbury, New Jersey. No kidding. And brought in Jason, well, I forget the year, but I, I couldn't have been more than six or seven years old, but he brought him in. Uh, just to kind of do like, uh, you know, presentation and meet all the kids. I went to a smaller school and then sure enough, you know, 20 years later or sorry, 15, yeah, it's almost 20 years later, I'm on the same team as him, you know, <laughs> just such a the game of baseball, you know, it's cliche to say, but it's such a small world and it, it really is, you know, you run into guys at the place that I'm working out in the offices. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah, I know that guy. It really is. It's almost like a fraternity and, and it's, it, it's, it's special. It's, it's something to be proud of and, and I enjoy it. So did you tell Jason that story and make him oh, feel yeah. super he old? He remembered it. Well, that's exactly, that's exactly what he had to say, but you know, kudos to him for him to be able to still be playing at that point. Anybody that can do that, uh, to have a career that long, you know, you, you, you look up to him and you try and pick his brain. And, and that was something that, that, that we all did, you know, because that's a guy that 
knew how to get it done at the big league level, and you just try and take as much from him as possible. Okay, so later on in 2017, you make your AAA debut against Round Rock, and then your next start comes in Oklahoma City against a guy that maybe at one point during your high school career or your college career that you tried to emulate. I mean, you and Clayton Kershaw are closer in age, but Clayton Kershaw is still Clayton Kershaw. And you find out that, that you're going up against him. What is that moment like when you realize, oh, oh crap, like that's the guy on the other side tonight? I think I had a little bit of luck going into that start. It was that first one at Round Rock. I got bailed out in the fourth inning after kind of cruising. And then somebody came in. I think I came out with the bases loaded and Mark Peterson came in and got three straight punch outs. So I was pretty <laughs> fired up about that. And then, uh, yeah, going to actually, I was supposed to start the day before and then we got rained out. And, you know, we had heard that Kershaw was going to be making his rehab start uh, that day. And it just lined up where I got pushed back. And yeah, I was very much looking forward to that opportunity. Uh, I think that anybody, any pitcher growing up, you know, looks to pitch in big games. And obviously, you know, it's a minor league game in August, but you know, you get to go up against one of the, one of the greatest left-handed pitchers to ever play the game. Uh, I was juiced up about it. And, you know, I, I told myself to just go out there and compete my butt off and ended up working out. And, uh, yeah, it was one of the one of the more uh, memorable moments of my career so far. So obviously, you don't actually face Kershaw, nor does he face you in uh, that kind of setting. But there has to be this competitive drive within you that you want to outdo that guy. So knowing he goes out and faces your guys right off the bat because it's a road game for Omaha that night, and then suddenly you get a one nothing lead on him early in the second inning. What's that like at that point to now you're in a pitcher's duel with Clayton Kershaw and you're working with a one nothing lead? Yeah, as soon as I got that lead, I definitely told myself I want to go out and win this thing. Um, and, you know, like I said, he's on a rehab start, whatever. But for me, it was a pretty big moment. And from there, it was just making sure that I went out and executed my pitches. I remember there's a couple spots in that game, too, where I had to rely on, on, on Cam uh, Gallagher, who was catching that day. And, you know, kind of trust him a little bit and, you know, just going out and just competing. And really, that's kind of how I've always been throughout my and throughout ba- my baseball career in general is just to try and compete the best I can. I don't know if I have the best stuff on paper, but I'll go out and face anybody. I don't care. And that's kind of the mindset I had that day. And, and, it, and I really felt like that was kind of what what got me th- uh, got me through the, that game and, and got a win. Now, I just want to give people a little bit more context about this game. This isn't just, you know, you going out there and starting a game. This is your second career AAA start. So there's still got to be a little bit of, I've, I've got to prove that, you know, I belong here at this level with these other guys, whether it's Clayton Kershaw on the other side or someone that I've never heard of. And you go out there, you throw seven shutout innings, eight strikeouts, two walks, Omaha wins the game 4 nothing. Jorge Soler hits the home run that Tony mentioned. It's also in front of over 13,000 people in Oklahoma City. I mean, I, I've got to imagine that's the biggest crowd that you've pitched in front of, right? Yeah, well, uh, in, I think I, I, I pitched in front of maybe 30-some thousand in Japan against the Netherlands. Oh, okay. Well, in terms of a game that it was my game, yes. Yeah, 100%. And, and I, I, I loved it. You know, you it was. I remember coming out of the, the dugout and, and going up onto the field, and there was a definite buzz because you know, uh, you know, Kershaw's pitching, and people are coming to see him throw. And I remember walking out to the line to do my stretches and looking out to their bullpen, uh, which is in left center field. And there's a little, there's a like a 
concourse that goes behind the bullpens there. And there must have been 500 people just stacked on top of each other trying to watch him throw. And, you know, right there, I'm like, okay, like, yeah, like, this is, this is special. Like, let's go out and, 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 and do it. And, you know, I had a nice crowd too, because people that couldn't watch him came over to watch me warm up and, you know, you feed off that type of energy and I, you know, you relish that moment. And, and I really felt like I took the energy of that, that ballpark and, and try to harness it and, and go out and pitch my best game. The best part about games like that is a, that they kind of, are just happenstance, you know, there, there's not probably a lot of planning. As you mentioned, you were supposed to throw the night before, then it gets, you get bumped a day, and then this happens to be the day that it happens. And then suddenly what would just normally be a regular season AAA game turns into an event uh, because people are going to come to see Kershaw play. Um, just to add a little personal note to that, and, and Jake knows about this, but my son goes to college at the University of Oklahoma. That was his first weekend in college. And when we heard this is happening, like I called down there and probably one of my only cool dad moves of his entire life, I, I grabbed three or four late tickets for him to take some new college friends to the game. And they came up there to, to watch you duel against Kershaw from 25 minutes away. Um, and he said that that night was just electric, that he couldn't believe that it was like that for a minor league baseball game in the regular season. So I can't even imagine what it was like for you to a here. You're going to pitch against Kershaw. Then that had that whole buildup uh, going into what ended up being a night that you're probably never going to forget. Yeah, it, it, it really was to kind of really think back on it. I remember going to the ballpark because you know, when you're starting pitcher, you don't have to get there uh, as early as everybody else. I think I walked over around like four or four thirty, and and if you've never been to a game at Brown, um, you should. It's 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 quite a cool little town there. Restaurants all around. The, you know the cobblestone streets, and uh, it was buzzing. You know people walking around all wearing their Dodgers jerseys. So you're excited about that, you know. I mean, what's not to love? You get you get a packed crowd against one of the best guys to ever to ever tow it up, and. Uh, it was just, it was really fun. So you have that experience at the tail end of 2017. You come back in 2018, and you're a more entrenched part of the Omaha Storm Chasers. In 2019, you're a mainstay in the rotation. You're second on the team in innings pitch, second on the team in strikeouts. Obviously, your AAA debut came on the road. That game against Kershaw came on the road. But now you've got two-ish seasons worth of games that you've started at Warner Park. What's the experience like for you pitching in Omaha? Uh, well, let me just say this. There's there's a difference in, in early April than in mid-July. <laughs> right? so but true. no, really, in a summer, like a nice weather game in Omaha, it truly is Americana. I mean, you get these cotton candy sunsets coming over the left field line, a full, a full ballpark, and the people there are just so nice. You know, you deal with them um, each and every day. You, you see them over the autograph bridge and i've never been to nebraska before i got to omaha and i really i do have a a soft spot for it the people are great uh, and you know there's a buzz in the crowd i think i got to pitch july 4th in 2019 and that was a sold out crowd and it's just it's just so much fun that's why you play the game you you play the game for the for the fans and it's it's easy to lose sight of that especially um when you're grinding it out and trying to make a name for yourself and trying to get to the big leagues but um yeah playing at Warner Park with the people there, it, it's it's a good time. Um, I'm glad you brought up that July 4th start because I was going to ask you about you know the tons of different jerseys that you wear as a minor leaguer. And that July 4th, there's that really cool Omaha Stars and Stripes jersey. Um, and there, there are a bunch of pictures of you wearing and pitching in. Is that your favorite Omaha jersey that you've worn? What 
what is your favorite Omaha jersey that you've worn, and what's the craziest jersey that you've worn in your career? Yeah, I guess you could say that the the Stars and Stripes jersey was probably my favorite. I mean, I love all the Star Wars ones, although I haven't fell, fallen in love with one yet, although I'm a big Star Wars guy. But uh, I think the, the oddest one was maybe the Runza jersey, because I hadn't <laughs> had a Runza. Yeah, I hadn't had a Runza yet. And uh, actually, I think I, I, I maybe it was a double header that day, if I remember correctly. And uh, they had some in the in the post in the clubhouse, you know, some runs. That was my first time having one, and it's actually pretty darn good. So it was an odd jersey, but a, a really nice post game meal. So is a is a win in my book. So you're from you're from South Jersey. How does the runs compare to to Wawa? Well, first off, I I, I, I hate to correct you, but I am from I'm from Central Jersey. Oh, okay, a, okay, Central the, Jersey. Jersey, yes, there is a Central. <laughs> jersey. There are a lot of people just just to make this clear. There are a lot of people that say that there's only North Jersey and South Jersey, and Central Jersey doesn't exist. And then, of course, there are people who live and are from Central Jersey that are very adamant that Central Jersey is a thing. And you know what? I'm not from New Jersey, so who am I to say? Well, it's yeah, you know, our, uh, the strength coach for the past couple of years in Omaha, Phil Falco, he's a New Jersey guy as well, and he gives me a hard time for that. But I, I think I had to print <laughs> out a map that actually showed where Central Jersey was, and then I pointed to my town. Can you say the, the? Can you bring that question up again? Yeah, yeah. Just asking you know, comparing Runzas to to Wawa, which I know is like the holy grail in that area. Yeah, Runza to Wawa definitely. It's a completely different uh, food item, uh, but I, I do have to back Wawa. Wawa, if you don't know, it's kind of it's a convenience store on steroids. You know, you go in, <laughs> they have everything that you're normally used to at a convenience store, but then they have like a menu with a touch screen, and you can pick. You know, the the cheesesteak from there is actually pretty darn good, but it all has to do with the bread. They have good bread. If you have good bread, then it's all, you know, you don't have to worry about it. All right. So let's let's dive into food a little bit here. You've now spent, you know, better part of the last couple of years in Omaha. What are some of your go to spots in Omaha? Yeah. So pregame, which is typically breakfast, you know, we go to go to Early Bird, which is in in in. I don't know if it's right in downtown. I think it's slightly out, maybe down the road a little bit, um, which is really good. Good breakfast, omelets, things like that. And then a lot of us have kind of worn out M's Pub. (laughs) Um, You know, they have anything that you could think of from, you know, chicken satay dinners to like escargot. Not that I go for that kind of thing, but it's kind of a nice uh, deal after the game. It's the only thing that's kind of open late, that and blue sushi which is downtown. Um, so we've worn out those places a lot. Um, and then I actually, if we get lucky enough, sometimes we have an early Sunday game and Plank, which is a seafood restaurant in, in downtown Omaha, they do like a oyster happy hour. And uh, I love oysters. And you know what? Oysters in Nebraska are pretty darn good. You know, I got I to gotta be honest. I, as somebody who has yet to live in Nebraska, I would not expect oysters to be like the preeminent food for Nebraska. You you hear, you know, Omaha steaks and you think beef and, and meat and stuff. Oysters wouldn't have been at the top of my list, but I'll have to give that a shot. And, you know, escargot at Em's at pub. That that sounds good. I'll I'll give that a shot too, sure. It's it's really good. It's really good. Both of us and I talked to the um someone at Plank and I guess they haven't flown in. So yeah, I, I don't know exactly, but they're really they're really darn good. They have 
they have like five or six different options every time you go in. So no, I, Omaha has a special place for me. You know, I, I really like, I, I live downtown. Some of the guys live a little further out, but I choose to live downtown. I like that kind of feel. And um, yeah, I, I, I've spent some time in Omaha, Nebraska, and I, I really enjoy it. Jake, I think that that's nice that you're sharing some of that because I, I, I assume that everyone from Omaha expects that everything that you guys do that takes place right near the ballpark where you're out, in, you know, in Sarpy County and a little bit out in the outskirts of town, but to hear that you're taking a part of so many things downtown and in your case actually live down there. I think that's interesting because since the team has moved from what used to be the home of the College World Series in Rosenblatt, which is right near downtown, to out uh, to the suburbs a little bit, everyone probably thinks that everything you guys do, you know, happens out there. Uh, it's great that you're actually going to experience Omaha as a whole while you're here, and you know, glad to hear that not only you, that some of your teammates also have done that as well. Yeah, no, we 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 like living downtown. I, the feel of it, and you know, sometimes you want to be able to, to that drive, that 20 minute drive. It's not very, it's not like it's far. But that 20 minute drive kind of gets you away from the feel a little bit because you know you can't. There can be days where you know you want to get away from the ballpark a little bit, and, and that kind of gives you that that sense of uh, escape. But um, yeah, I, I love living downtown, and it's a it's a nice spot, and especially in the summertime, you know, the weekends it, it gets buzzing, and and, it, and it's fun to kind of be around that. It just kind of me personally you get just a little more energized just by the people around. Now, now Omaha specific spots aside. Uh, I'm told by our friend Simon Matthews, a guy that that you work out with on occasion down in Arizona, that you're a big Chipotle fan. And I've been told by Simon that I have to ask you about the Chipotle vinaigrette, which he says, you know, it's a big time vet move getting the Chipotle vinaigrette. What's the story there? Yeah, well, I think it was one day that, uh, you know, I was in between my throwing session and I was getting ready for my lift and I brought in Chipotle and, and I think Simon had Chipotle too. And I'm looking over at his bowl and, it looked a little dry to me, you know, and I said, Hey, you know, you ever try the vinaigrettes from there? You got to try a little bit. Sure enough. He gets like a little scoop of this fork, you know, a, a separate fork and, uh, taste. He's like, Oh, I got to get this every time, which I thought most people would, would always, yeah, get I, I get it every time. I don't know what Simon's been doing. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it's something, it's just, I, I didn't, I didn't love Chipotle for the longest time. And somebody turned me on to it. And I, I can't get a bowl or a burrito without it. And uh, I do hit the the Chipotle uh, near the ballpark. I f- forget exactly where that's at, but uh, yeah, it's a staple as well. Well, Jake, we we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the Stormcast, being our first guest of 2021. I know you've been waiting for this a long time. I'm sorry we didn't have you on earlier, but I'm glad that you're starting off our our year on the right foot. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to 2021. Hopefully, we started it off the right way. Yeah, we're uh, we're excited to see you in Omaha, but of course we hope that we don't see you because it means you're pitching in the big league. So so best of luck, uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, and we'll look forward to following along as 2021 continues. Thanks again to Jake Kalish for joining us on the Stormcast, and an extra special bonus points thanks for adding a few places to you know the list that is growing now, Tony, for me of, of food places to go to and try out in Omaha. We got now Early Bird, Blue Sushi, M's Pub, and look, I'll tell you this. I did not expect to be getting recommendations for oysters or escargot, but you know what? That's you never know what you're going to get on the Stormcast, and that's what we got this time around. 
I can't imagine what it's going to be like when you actually get here and uh, you travel around Omaha and hit all these different spots. And the fact of the matter is, other than Polberg's house, which might have been the, <laughs> the biggest uh, off-the-grid uh, addition to your chart, because that's where Poli said that he would appreciate his best meal when he appeared on the episode, you've gotten a lot of recommendations from people who aren't from Omaha. And the fact that you have this nice list going and you really haven't added a lot from people from Omaha, I think that you're off the charts as far as what you're going to be able to, uh, you know, kind of be a part of and, uh, you know, take in once you get here, because uh, that list is grown and grown and grown as this podcast has gone on. And it's going to be pretty massive by the time you get here. Yeah, I've got a spreadsheet going that I'm filling out and I've got a stomach that I'm trying to keep <laughs> relatively empty so that I can fill it up with all the great Omaha food that I'm looking forward to and and you know gluten-free at that that's an important part of this is there, there are going to be some suggestions that I physically just won't be able to try and that's okay don't hesitate suggesting them anyway because I can pass them along to, to other people you know what what have you but yeah there's I've got a spreadsheet going and I am I'm pumped about it all right let's uh let's go to trivia now uh, our last question People had a little bit of extra time. It was the last trivia question of 2020, and we had a little bit extra time because of the new year and the holidays. So this was a tough one for people to chew on, but we got some right answers. First, Tony, what was the right answer? Well, this was one that you had a little bit of research on, unless you uh, were familiar with what the Royals looked like at the start of every season. But we talked a lot during the podcast in 2020 about Royals draft picks and how the team has been built over the years. And uh, we asked in our last episode, what two first-round selections by Kansas City over the past decade have made the lineup on opening day of the season for the Royals? And there were only two of them. Um, the correct answer, answers were Hunter Dozier in 2019 and Bubba Starling in 2020. Um, and letting everybody know, uh, just a little bit behind the curtains here, when I actually thought of asking this question, I had forgotten that Starling had started in 2020. So when I first went into to diving into this question, I really thought Hunter Dozier was going to be the only guy. And I'm like, oh yeah, Bubba started in 2022. Oh but yeah, only been 2020, the 2020 season happened, even though opening day was in July. Exactly. Exactly. And it didn't happen, you know, where we all expected it to be or, or anything like that. But Bubba Starling did start in center that day. So he did join Hunter Dozier as the only two first round draft picks from the last decade for the Royals that have been in the opening day lineup uh, for Kansas City as the seasons began. We got a bunch of responses on this question. Some people got both of them right. Some people got one of them right. Um, some people got, got none of them right. That's okay, too. Thanks for trying. And you can try again with our next trivia question. But for those of you that got both right, uh, Shoutouts are due on Facebook, Caleb Huffman, Nathan Dyson, congratulations, Mike Garcia on Instagram, and on Twitter, LaDonna C., and Travis Kirsch. So well done to all five of you for getting the final trivia question of 2020 correct, and now you can try your luck at the first question of 2021. Well, we couldn't have had Jake Kalish on the podcast without talking about that start against Clayton Kershaw in Oklahoma City. And as we mentioned, Jake pitched really well that night, got his first AAA win, and uh, combined with another storm chaser to shut out the Dodgers 4 to nothing, thanks to that Jorge Soler home run early in the game. So our question is, who was the Omaha other player, the other Omaha player to pitch in that game? So Jake went the first seven innings. Somebody else finished the game for the uh, storm chasers that night. Um, who was that guy? And we'll give you a little hint. This guy did pitch in the major leagues. Yeah, you'll have to dig up the box score for that one. And I'll say this, Tony. Uh, when you told me that this was going to be the question, I pulled up the box score because I didn't know the answer off the top of my head. Now I do. No, I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to go find it yourself. But I will say another potential trivia question, or even just like a neat thing that I noticed about this box score, there are four players 
that appeared in this game for Oklahoma City that won the 2020 World Series. Clayton Kershaw, obviously, is one of them. There are three others that appeared in that game that just won the World Series. I think that's pretty cool. So when you go to take a look at that box score, uh, you can figure that one out, too. I think that's cool that you bring that up, too, because, A, the Dodgers have been uh, an organization that have done well building through the farm system, even though, unlike Kansas City and some other teams, they don't necessarily have to because they're a big market team with all kinds of money, and they can go out and get a guy like Mookie Betts, where that's not something that a lot of the major league teams can do. Uh, But one of the things that has been interesting for games out at Warner Park is to see how other uh, organizations uh, within the Pacific Coast League have been developing and Oklahoma City as Omaha is known uh, since the Dodgers took over in that market and have been a part of Omaha's decision and uh, a team that Omaha's had to deal with you know 12 times a year at least um, it, it's been fun to watch these guys show up at Werner Park and play and this game obviously took place uh, down in Oklahoma City but the rivalry has been fun and it's been great to watch the Cody Bellingers and the Corey Seegers uh, come through with Oklahoma City here in these past few years. And um, I don't know if either of those guys played in that game that you were talking about. Maybe I just gave away a couple of the answers. Uh, but it has been cool to watch that. Uh, as much as it's been fun around here to watch, you know, future Storm or future Royals play for the Storm Chasers, it's been fun also to watch uh, some other teams have guys that have gone on to really nice big league careers. And as you mentioned, some of these Dodgers won in the World Series and with L.A. Yeah, and and that's one of the cool things about minor league baseball is that on any given night, you could be watching a player who goes on to be a big league star. I mean, we talked about it with Jake. The fact that Clayton Kershaw was pitching in that game, it was a rehab start, but it was completely happenstance. And that was just a thing that happened, and all of a sudden, 13,000-plus people in Oklahoma City got to watch Clayton Kershaw when, under normal circumstances, you know, Clayton Kershaw is not pitching relatively near Oklahoma City on a regular basis. So that's that's one of the beauties about minor league baseball and, you know, rehab assignments also. But, you know, when you've got players coming from Iowa that are going to go play in Chicago or players coming from Memphis that are going to end up in St. Louis, it's just, it's just a really cool thing. And I'll say this, you did not give away any of the players that won a World Series that appeared in that game. So it was neither Corey Seager nor Cody Bellinger, but there are, there are three others than, other than Clayton Kershaw. Well, good. I'm glad I didn't do that. And uh, you're right. This is what makes minor league baseball fun. Not only do you get to see guys developing on the way up, but you do get these potential, uh, these sometimes uh, coincidental brushes with greatness where um, you have guys that, that come and make a rehab appearance or two or, or to get something to work out when they sign with a new team um, later in their career or something like that, um, where you do get a chance to, you know, see these guys play. Um, you know, uh, just thinking of the last few years at Warner Park, we've had a couple of former MVPs show up on rehab assignments in Josh Hamilton and Chris Bryant. Um, we saw, you know, a former Cy Young Award winner in Barry Zito uh, essentially retire at Warner Park, even though the A's did have him pitched a little bit later in the year. At that point, there was a retirement out in the outfield uh, clubhouse uh, for Barry Zito at Werner. Um, it's been really cool uh, to be around these things as they've happened. And uh, as you mentioned there, um, those guys went on to bigger and better things, things you can't get any better than winning a World Series. Yeah, by the way, I think Coincidental Brushes with Greatness is going to be the title of my memoir. That's perfect. That's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> it's, yours, it's yours if you want it. No, I'll, I'll just like take a small 
slice of whatever you make on that whenever you decide to publish that bad boy. Sounds good. I'll, I'll let you know. My people will talk to your people. Uh, we'll, we'll let you guys go now, too. Thanks for joining us for our first episode of the Stormcast in, in 2021. Uh, be sure to subscribe, rate, review our show, the Stormcast, on Apple Podcasts, Spot, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening from. Also, check out our earlier episodes, all 16 of them from 2020, going all the way back to May with Nikki Lopez and our final episode of 2020 with Clint Scholes. There's a ton of great conversations in there that, that I know all of you will enjoy. Reminder, you can keep up with everything Omaha Storm Chasers on social media by following the team on Twitter at OMA Storm Chasers and on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Omaha Storm Chasers. One more big thank you to Jake Kalish for joining us on our first episode of 2021. And as always, many thanks to my co-host, Tony Boone. So for Tony and the rest of the Storm Chasers, I'm Jake Eisenberg saying so long. You've been listening to the Stormcast.